Our theme this year is Our Hope is Jesus. And I want every month to look at an individual who was in need of hope. And that's why we're in 2 Samuel chapter number 9. And we're going to start in verse number 1. We see someone who was in a hopeless place and he experienced hope. He experienced grace in an amazing way. So 2 Samuel chapter 9 and verse number 1. And David said, Is there yet any that's left of the house of Saul? They may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan have yet a son which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is now in the house of Merar and the son of Emil in Lodibar. Then the king sent and fetched him out of the house of Mychar, the son of Emil, and from Lodibar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for another time we have to be together. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy, Lord. I pray that we'll be encouraged by your amazing grace, the hope that is found in you this morning from this message. And Lord, I pray if anyone has not experienced that amazing grace, that today they would accept you as their Lord and Savior. I pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. There was a really famous mayor of New York whose name was Mr. LaGuardia. Uh, anyone been to LaGuardia? I'm saying it just like the New Yorkers say it, LaGuardia, okay? Been there and I heard him talk about LaGuardia. And uh, at any rate, he was a famous mayor of New York City back in the 30s. He was a really colorful character. I'm sure he did lots of bad things too, but he was re- he definitely had a heart for New York. Uh, he would ride the New York fire trucks to a fire scene. Talk about a guy who wanted to be at the front of the action. And he would go with the New York uh, Police Department when they did raids. He'd be there with them, and he would take whole orphanages to the baseball games with him. This one night in January of 1939, he showed up at a night court and served that served the poorest ward of the city. And LaGuardia dismissed the judge and took the bench himself. And within a few minutes, a tattered old lady was brought before him and charged with stealing a loaf of bread. She told uh, the mayor that her daughter's husband had deserted her, her daughter was sick, and her two grandchildren were starving to death. The shopkeeper, from when, from who the bread was stolen, refused to drop the charges. He's really upset. He says, it's a really bad neighborhood, Your Honor. She's got to be punished to teach other people around here a lesson. The mayor sighed, and he turned to the woman and said, I've, I, I got to punish you. The law makes no exceptions. It's $10 or 10 days in jail. But even as he was giving out his sentence, he was already reaching to his pocket and he extracted a bill and tossed it into a hat and said, here's the $10 that I must find you. I remit it. And I'm going to find everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread to feed her grandchildren. Mr. Bailiff, collect the fines. So that poor little grandmother left with $47.50. Fifty cents was from that red-faced grocery store owner who was pretty upset. And then the rest of the courtroom, there's about 70 petty criminals and the 
for and people charged with traffic violations, New York City policemen. And you know, they were giving their 50 cents and they were applauding at the same time as they gave that lady the money to go buy bread for her family. Now that, that is amazing, right? I mean, that's, I mean, you might say, well, he abused his, the system. Well, it was grace. He didn't have to pay that $10, did he? He had nothing to do with the situation. It was grace. He, he, he gave it to that lady to help her and to pay a debt that she could not pay. And this morning, we all have been to a place where we have a debt that we can't pay. Maybe you, you're here this morning and you came to a place and you understood that I have a debt, a sin debt that I can't pay, and you've accepted that amazing grace. You still know about that debt. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never accepted Christ as Savior. Well, you have a debt that amazing grace can cover. And this passage we're going to look at this morning is an amazing picture of grace. Amazing. An amazing picture of grace in God's Word. We see, first of all, that grace is extended. I read those first five verses for us. Actually, down to verse number six. The story opens, think about it, imagine a little bit. The story opens with David in Jerusalem. He's king. We've looked at David recently and we saw him in the cave, right? And we saw him when Saul came in and he took just a piece of his hem of his garment. Saul's long gone now. Now he's on the throne. And David is stirred to extend grace to a member of Saul's family. Grace extended. David said he wants to show someone from the family of Saul kindness for Jonathan's sake there in verse number 1, the latter part, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. You know, the word kindness means goodness, mercy, favor, loving kindness. It's the Old Testament word for grace. That's the idea that we're getting here. And grace is defined as the unmerited love and favor of God toward the undeserving. Grace is one person accepting another person in a positive manner in spite of the unworthiness of the person being accepted. You understand us and our sin nature? There's nothing appealing to us to God, but He loves us and He extends grace to us. That's what He does. It's amazing. And here in this story, David's desires extend grace to a member of Saul's family. And that's an amazing thing when you think about it in light of what kings would do in that day when they came to power. And actually, it would go long after David's time. But in this era, uh, when kings took the throne, especially from another family, these ancient kings would totally eradicate the families of the predecessors uh, to ensure that no one had laying claim to the throne. And eradicate means exactly what you're thinking about, death. Okay, he, they would destroy. One king of Syria, uh, during this era, I mean, it was a little bit later than David, he actually mutilated and executed and fed the bodies of his rivals to the dogs. Now, that was common. That was not uncommon. And you know what? That act of that Assyrian king, that was his first official act as king. That's what he did first. To eradicate anybody who could take the throne from him. What the king did was his justice. What David did demonstrates the grace of God, isn't it? He's demonstrating grace. What David demonstrated is grace. And David had the right to execute judgment. No one in the kingdom would have been upset with David if he found family of Saul still alive and he eradicated them. No one would have been upset. That's your prerogative king. Whatever you wish to do. But instead of doing judgment, he executes grace. And it's an amazing thing to see. 
And we're given a couple of reasons why that happens. Uh, that Saul's house didn't get what other houses did. He did it for two reasons. First, he did it because of his relationship with Jonathan. Now, I don't know if you've read much about uh, Jonathan and David, uh, but you need to. And that's in 1 Samuel chapter 18. They were closer than brothers. Uh, you need to read about it. First, at Samuel 18, verses 1 to 3, they were super close. Wherever David was, Jonathan was. Wherever Jonathan and David was, they were just, they were close. And he did it because he had, had two promises he had made years before. David had promised both Jonathan and Saul that he would not totally destroy their offspring. Which was gracious just to say that, but he did not. And that's found in 1 Samuel 20 and 1 Samuel 24. You find those references. So this grace is extended because of another, I mean, David did not have to do it. He was moved by God to extend this grace. And this isn't it so great that grace, we don't deserve it, but is extended anyway. Here you go. It's for you. You can have it. God extended his grace to the descendants of Adam, which means me and you today. We don't deserve his grace, folks. We live in a world that we think we deserve things, don't we? Right? That's the world I see. That's the world I just came back from, from vacation. People expect it this way, do it this way, and you know, I don't like it this way, you do it this way, you know. The idea, we don't deserve this. We don't deserve His grace. We don't deserve His love. We don't deserve His mercy. You know what we do deserve? Is His judgment. That's what we deserve. Behold, Ezekiel 18.4, Behold, all souls are mine, and the soul of the Father, so all souls of, of the Son is mine, so the soul that sinneth, Sinner, uh, sinneth, it shall die. And if you die without Jesus Christ, you are eternally separated from Him in a place called hell. That's what the Word of God tells us. So this grace is extended to us. He reaches out uh, to depraved sinners because He loves us. His Son came for us because of the work that Jesus Christ did on Calvary's cross and that He rose again. We have nothing to merit us to God. But it's because of Jesus. Amen? It's because of Jesus. We can experience God's amazing grace. I write unto you, little children, 1 John 2.12. Little children, because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. What an amazing grace. The reach of His grace. When David decides to extend the grace, he does so without any limits. He says he's looking for any that is left of the house of Saul. In verse number one, any that's left. The house of Saul was the house of his predecessor. And we know Saul was a bitter enemy to David. Have you ever noticed that an enemy of yours, or even maybe you haven't experienced this, but uh, an enemy will always tell his friends how bad you are? Right? That's what the, that's the way enemies work. They don't go around telling other people how good you are. They can't stand you. So Saul, I'm sure, would have uh, sowed those seeds of discourse and, uh, and rebellion against David. Uh, but Saul, David doesn't care. Is there any left? It didn't matter who you are. Is there any left? And David placed no limits on his grace to these people. He's willing to extend to any member of the house of Saul. David wasn't looking for certain people who meet certain standards or certain criteria. He wasn't looking for soldiers. He wasn't looking for the intellects. He wasn't looking for those who possess leadership abilities. What he says is any person, any people of the family of Saul, they're all candidates for the grace that I'm going to give them. 
What a great comparison to God's grace. It knows no boundaries. Aren't you glad for that today? doesn't matter where you're from. Uh, God's grace extends to everyone, regardless of your past. That's one thing I've heard re- you know, lots of times as I witness to people and try to encourage them to accept Jesus Christ as Savior. They're like, well, Pastor, you don't know about my past. Your past don't stab God. It's not possible. What your past is your past. Trust Jesus. Amen? Trust Him and see what He will do. So your past doesn't matter. And your race doesn't matter. He loves everybody. Your social standing, you don't have much or you have a lot. doesn't matter. Uh, that doesn't matter. Your deeds, they don't stop God's grace. It's for everybody. You know what? If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior here this morning, you're qualified to be saved. Hey, we all, you know, I don't know if you all like it, but we get these letters in the mail. You're, you're pre-qualified for a $5,000 credit. You know, that get the trash is full of that stuff, right? It's not pre-qualified with Jesus Christ. You're qualified. All you gotta do is accept it. You know, that's it. Just accept it. And Jesus Christ will accept you into His family. Anyone can come to Jesus Christ. Anybody. Doesn't matter. Uh, and so we see that Ziba, the servant, is found, a former servant of Saul. And uh, he's asked, where is, is there any left? Ziba, is there anybody left? And there is one that's mentioned. Mephibosheth. Don't say that a lot of times quick because you'll get it mixed up. Mephibosheth. Where was Mephibosheth when David found him? You know, we, we read these names of places in God's Word. And you know, every name has a meaning. Right? Every name has a meaning. And I would encourage you, as you read the Word of God, to get a good dictionary or, or, or get something to show you what these words mean. Because I'm going to give you some things here I didn't even know. And I love this story, but I didn't know these things until recently as I studied it out. So he was in the house of Minar in a place called Lodeber. And both the house and the place accurately describe his condition. Minar means sold. Lodeber means no pasture. It's on the east side of the Jordan River in a hilly country. Both describe the place and the house that he's in, condition he's in. He is a fall, he's fallen an injury, right? He, uh, that's not his fault though. He, it was not his fault that he's crippled. He's the son of a royalty, crippled, unable to seek or get to the king. He's separated. He's in hiding. He's afraid. You know, his very name means shameful. That's what his name means, is shameful. Imagine after falling and being crippled, how much that name must have resonated with him. And it was a shame. It probably was even said in the Hebrew word, in the Hebrew tongue, what a shame he fell. Shameful. He was in a hopeless place. He was helpless. What a picture for us of the lost sinner. Like Mephibosheth, the lost person is sold under sin. We're in bondage, right? That's a term we often use. I was once in bondage. A lot of the songs we sing in our hymn book talk about us being in bondage. We're sold under sin. We don't have freedom. We're in a hopeless place. And he's in a place of no hope. Isn't that a horrible place to be? I, I don't like that statement, no hope. But that's where he was. And he was in a place where he could not help himself. 
If, uh, Ephesians chapter 2.12 talks about the place he was in, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens uh, from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. The lost sinner is a slave to his passions. And he's a slave to the devil. He's in a place of slavery. He's in a place of no pasture. There is no hope. And you know what? There's no friend in that hard day if you're there. You don't have someone to uh, help you in the hard day. There's no help to burden the, uh, the uh, shoulder the burdens of life. There's no one to turn to in the dark hours. There's no hope for the day. There's no hope for tomorrow. That's where you are just outside of grace. That's where you find yourself today. There's no hope. There's no hope. Praise God that extends His grace to all that would come to Him. Amen? There is hope. There's none in yourself, but there's hope in Jesus Christ. His salvation is available to whosoever will. There is no limits who can come to Him. Uh, that uh, When people say that to me, uh, well, Pastor, you don't know about my past. I don't know. I don't, don't need to, but it doesn't stop Jesus. Your past can't stop the Lord. He's died for all sin. He bore all those things for Himself upon the cross. He's, he's done it for you and extends His grace. He won't turn away from you. He won't. God's amazing grace is how I got saved. And I hope that's how you got saved. That you know Jesus Christ is your Savior this morning. And if you're lost, then i got great hope for you. And that's Jesus. Your hope is Jesus. And none of us deserves the grace and salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. No one deserves it, but it's free for the taking and Jesus provides it. I mean, it's amazing grace. The response of His grace, David discovers that one of Jonathan's sons is still living. He also hears news that this man is a cripple. But that didn't stop him from accepting him. The response of grace is not to ask what kind of man he is or even how badly he's crippled. Grace doesn't concern itself about man's background, his surroundings, his abilities, his appearance, or his future potential. Grace says, come. Aren't you glad for that? Grace says, come. Come to me. Come to Jesus Christ. Uh, and I love how the, the king in verse number 4 says, uh, so Ziba tells him about him. Jonathan yet has some which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? Where is he? As soon as David hears where this man is, he sends his servant to go fetch him. Uh, in verse number 5, Then David sent and fetched him out of his house. Grace says, I'm not concerned about his condition. I just want him like he is. David says, I'll take him just like he is. Hey, let's think about it for a moment. God's amazing grace. Uh, he looks down and sees us and we're spiritually crippled and He says, I want you. Come to Me. And He doesn't care about our past. He doesn't care about our potential. All He says is, come to Me and I will not cast you out. Come to Me and I'll accept you for just who you are. That's the way grace fixed itself upon us. The, the crippled sons of Adam's race. It's no wonder it's called amazing. We don't deserve it, folks. We don't deserve it. And it's, hey, it's free for the taking. You know, Mephibosheth was one of the last surviving family members of Saul. If it were not for the grace of David, his entire family would soon vanish away. 
If it were not for the grace of God in Jesus Christ, no son of Adam would survive. We would all be lost in our sins. We would be in bondage to it. And we would die and go to a crisis eternity. But Jesus, amen? But Jesus showed up and He changed things. Grace embraced. Number 6, verse number 6. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and I will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that I should that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? Now, I like when I read stories in the Bible to kind of think about the emotion that's taking place. Every individual in the Word of God was human in the sense of the stories of men. They all had emotions like me and you. How, how were they feeling? And how, how's it, how are they processing these things? Just tap, stop for a moment and think about Mephibosheth. He's one of the few remaining members of the house of Saul. There's a reason why he's on the east side of the Jordan River. That's, he's in hiding, right? He's trying to hide away. He's trying to maintain life, but it's not a great life, but he has life and he's over there. He's in a place of Lodabar. There's no, there's no pasture. It's, it's not much of a life. He's hopeless. He's not much, he doesn't have much help. He's crippled and he has been since he was five. That when he was five years old, he lost his dad in a battle. And when that horrible news came to hit that nurse who was taking care of him, she tried to flee with the child and she dropped him. His legs were permanently damaged. And all his life, since he was five years old, he's been warned that David might find him. David might come for him. He's lived his whole life probably in fear and definitely has not been an extravagant life. He didn't have any access to the wealth of his family. Yeah, I mean, that that we know of. He had been warned that David might come for him. And I assure you that he knew stories of what other kings did to the predecessor's families. And one day he hears the sound of horses and chariots coming for him. The men entered and tell him the king was sent for him. They load him up and they take him from his home and see the king. See the king, he's always feared. Can you imagine that ride and that chariot or on that horse? I mean, we don't know exactly how he got there, but that were two modes of transportation that were available. I think I would be in great fear. I think I would be white as a sheet the whole time on that horse or the whole time in that chariot. And I mean, I can't get away, right? He can't flee. He's crippled. There's no way to get away. And when he arrives there, it's nothing like he imagined it would be. I mean, have you gone somewhere sometime and imagined something? So we were on vacation this past week, and we went to this resort, and we pulled off the road, and it looked like we were in the slums of Myrtle Beach. 
And we're like, where are we going? And you know, when those kind of things happen, you always look at the person who booked the place. And we're all looking at Michelle like, where have you brought us? It's past this abandoned mall. The food court, the F is falling off the food court. And, you know, that, that, well, there was a food court. I don't know that F was falling off. I'm exaggerating a little bit there. But it was desolate. There was no one going in there shopping. And we took this chart and you're all like, where are we going? And then we pulled in. It was like, a, wow, this is so nice. You know, so the idea, we all have these preconceived notions and things we imagine, right? It happens in life. And, but this is not what he imagined. As Mephibosheth entered that presence of David, he entered the presence of grace. Notice how he embraces it in verse number 6. And David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Behold thy servant. He comes into David's presence and he's aware that he is a descendant of Saul and he understands that he can get judgment and he humbles himself in the presence of David. But instead of judgment, he experiences tenderness. Oh, the things David could have said, but he didn't. David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake. And I will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat of the bread of my table continually. I'm pretty sure that never crossed his mind as he was traveling down from Lodabar. I'm pretty sure he never thought he'd hear those words. He's probably waiting to say, Thou son of Saul, thou shalt be killed. Instead it says, Hey, we're going to restore it all to you. We're going to take care of you. And you'll eat at my table continually. Now I do think that when David looked upon Mephibosheth, he saw his good friend Jonathan. He identified with Mephibosheth with Jonathan. And that's what God does with us. He, he sees us and identifies us with Jesus Christ. If we've been saved, amen? He looks at us and identifies us with Christ. We don't deserve that. But that's what He does. And to Mephibosheth here, he hears David call his name. And then to his maidment, David speaks peace to him. He promises restoration of his glory, of the wealth that once belonged to the family of Saul. And then like icing on the cake here, icing on the cake is you'll be at the king's table. Listen, there was no other table in the kingdom that you would rather be at than the king's table. I mean, there's no other place. This is the place you want to be. It's a, it's with a happy heart that Mephibosheth embraces the treasures of grace. And he, he embraced it with an honest heart too. Verse number eight. And he bowed himself and said, what is thy servant that thou shouldst look upon such a dead dog as I am? Mephibosheth is overwhelmed by the grace he has received. He acknowledges that he is undeserving of such love, of such mercy. And grace has been extended to him and has been embraced. And nothing will ever be the same for Mephibosheth now. It's all changed. And listen, when we accept Jesus Christ as Savior, we're changed forever. It's never the same again. I mean, I don't know about you, but as I read this story and I, I soaked it up some more, I mean, I'm, I'm charged up. I mean, I don't deserve this. You don't deserve it, but Jesus willingly offers it. 
when the king first calls, you know, you know, can you remember when you got saved and that conviction that the Jesus Christ moved in our hearts and the Holy Spirit that you need to be saved? And, and we understand that we're on a Christless eternity. We were serving something else, but Jesus came and we're convicted. We understand that we need to change from what we're doing and trust in Jesus Christ. It's so wonderful to know that we can come to Christ and He won't deny us. He won't turn us away. He'll accept us. When the sinner responds to the Holy Spirit moving in our heart and we accept Jesus Christ as Savior, we're ushered into the presence of the Lord and we should come with a humble and reverent heart, should we not? That's what we need to come with. Then the King speaks and reveals the truth. The grace has turned away His wrath. David's not mad at him. And same with our king. Our king is not mad at us anymore, but because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for us. And he promised to restore us, to take away our sin. Hey, I can remember the day I got saved. <clears throat> I remember the peace that came to my heart. Uh, it wasn't any, woo, no noises. It wasn't like a big bang or anything. But I remember after I prayed and accepted Christ as my Savior, I understand a prayer doesn't save you. You need to accept Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what happens. You need to accept Him. I prayed and accepted Christ as my Savior. I got up and I walked out that door and I felt a burden lifted from my heart. But I still had bills to pay. I still faced problems. But now I could do it with Jesus. Now I had Jesus with me and He was going to help and guide me. I remember thinking that, hey, I'm not, I'm not coming with anything. I didn't come to Jesus with anything, but I left with everything. When I came to Jesus Christ, I didn't bring Him anything to the table. I had nothing to offer. But I left with everything. What a great and wonderful and matchless, glorious Savior we have. Now, let me encourage you, if you have not experience salvation, if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, you need to do that. Verse number 9. Then the king called Ziba, the Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertaineth to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, According to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servants, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name uh, was Micah. And all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem and did, did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. Grace expanded. When Mephibosheth came to David, he did not get what he deserved or even what he anticipated. He received grace. And when he received the grace... His, his receiving was more than a blessing than he could ever imagine. It was way beyond what he thought. And, and grace provides him with Mephibosheth, uh, and that saving grace provides for you and for me today too, folks. Grace provided a future. You know, in Lodabed, Mephibosheth had nothing. 
He wasn't middle class. He was an outcast. He was a fugitive. He had no hope. He had no prospects for the future. But when he met grace, everything changed. All his present needs were met and his future was secure. Grace gave Mephibosheth something he could never have in Lodabar. Grace gave him a future. Grace gave him plenty of the king. Grace gave him peace with the king. I think that's probably the greatest thing of all. It gave him peace with someone he was trying to get away from. Gave him peace. Verse number 10, it said, Alway. Alway. Meshibotheth was accepted to come to the king's table on all days. He could come to the table anytime he wanted. He had access to the king anytime. And in the same is true for us who experienced God's saving grace. We were in Lodabar. We had no pasture. We had nothing. We were lost. We were undone. We were headed to a crisis of eternity. Uh, we were fugitives. We were on the run uh, for our lives from the Holy God. And then uh, we came to a place where we understood that we needed Jesus. The grace was extended. And we accepted. And then everything changed. For the first time, there was a future. There's no more running. Now it's time to embrace it. Embrace what God had for us. Now for Mephibosheth, there was hope for the future. And listen, for us here today, we know Jesus Christ is the Savior. There's hope for our future too, folks. We have an amazing future before us. Uh, we have promised security, John 10.28, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. We're eternally secure. Uh, we, we had no hope or promise now when Jesus Christ that He'll meet all our needs, but my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19 We had no one before, but now we're promised presence always uh, with Christ in heaven, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And Lord will be with you always, even unto the end of the world. And after we pass from this world to the next in heaven, He's there. That's ours. You know, I can speak for myself. I was a nobody heading to a crisis eternity, but by grace, now I'm heading somewhere that's pretty special. Amen? I'm going somewhere that's amazing. If you know Jesus Christ, your Savior, that's the same place you're going. Grace provided a family for Mephibosheth. He was adopted out of Saul's family and brought into David's. Grace gave him something that he did not have before. It was extended to him. Grace gave him a family. Every day he lived, Mephibosheth was reminded by his surroundings and by the presence of the king that he was a recipient of grace. He was there because of the grace of the king. And David claimed him as a son. Grace took Mephibosheth out of death. He was going nowhere. There was no pasture. He was sold. There was nothing there. And now it brings him into life, into a future. And when a sinner responds to the call of grace and saved, that sinner is immediately adopted in the family of God. Galatians 4, 5 says to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons. He was taken out of Adam and placed in Jesus Christ. Amen? When we accept Christ as Savior, we're placed with Him. We're counted as with Christ. You know, so often, you know what? We forget how good we got it, folks. And I'm not talking about 
material. And we got it good. But I'm talking spiritual. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you got it good. And we forget. And you know what? When we forget, we're not thankful, right? You know, we, we, we want more. We, don't, we think we can find something somewhere else. Listen, we have been saved by grace. Give God glory for it. Grace provided. It was fulfilled by David. Mothership was a nobody in a house full of somebodies. Okay, so let's, let's just try to use our imagination again. So we're, we're kind of, we're, we're looking from the palace into the king's table. Okay? The palace table, whatever they would call that, the, the eating hall. Okay? The table of the king. So imagine the scene. It's supper time. Oh, I can almost smell it. The lambs roasted, mmm, vegetables, whatever else they have. I don't, I didn't go back to look what they ate back then, but I'm sure it smells good. And the royal family enters. And they take their places at king's table. And there's David, the king, at the head of the table, right? His wives, his daughters, his sons. Probably Joab is there. He's a general, right? He would have access to the king. Ah, there were probably some of the, the strong men, the mighty men of David who sat at that table too. There were princes and princesses, uh, soldiers, statesmen, men of wealth, men of degree, uh, uh, maybe some scholars, uh, maybe, maybe even foreign dignitaries there at that table. And they all took their place at the table of King David. And as the family gathers, there's a sound coming, echoing through that table room. Sound of crutches as a crippled man comes down the hallway. Can you, can you imagine hearing the, the thud thuds of the crutches? Have you ever seen someone on crutches? They can't do it quietly, right? It's always a racket. It's always banging in something. You know, thud thud, thud thud. You know, he's coming down. His feet are dragging. Maybe they're making a noise. It's Mothibosheth. And he's taking his place at the king's table with all the rights and all the privileges as the rest. And then he sits at the table and then the tablecloth goes across his legs and he looks like just everybody else. I get, I talk about that and I get goose pimples. That's grace, folks. That's grace. Because of grace, Mothibosheth is belongs at that table. Grace took a nobody from nowhere and made him a child of the king. Mothibosheth should have never known joy. He should have never known happiness. He should have never known peace. He should have never had a future. He should never have been content. He should never have had unconditional love. But that's what David imparted to him by grace. By grace. Mephibosheth knew that he was a sinner and a nobody. But when he sat down at that table, he was just like everybody else. That's the power of grace. It takes the lost sinner and change him completely and sets him at the Lord's table. All in one moment. It's not a progression. Once you get saved, once you accept Christ as Savior, it's immediate. It's not a progression where, uh, oh my goodness, how many, how many, raise your hands. How many times have you sat at the kid's table? Christmas, Thanksgiving, kid's table. Who sat at the kid's table? Come on, raise your hand, a few of us, okay? If you, the rest of you don't know about it, it's fine. You won't live with those memories, okay? I can remember as a kid at the kid's table, you had to sit at the kid's table. And I remember the first time, 
you could come to the adult table now. Oh, <gasps> wow! The food was no different there or anything else, but it was just an upgrade, right, from the kids to the adult table. Hey, the moment we accept Jesus Christ as Savior, we're at the king's table. We, there's no progression. There's no need to, you have to do all these things, you gotta be at church so many times. No, you're, you're in! It takes us from low to bear and makes us a place of no pasture, no future, and He puts us in with one of God's children. 1 John 3, 1 to 2. It puts us on the even footing with the rest of God's precious saints. Hey, there's nobody better than anybody else. I am sick and tired of the hypocrisy I see so often in Christians thinking I'm better than somebody else. Hey, we're all saved by the same faith, amen? By the same grace. And we all need to be serving Jesus Christ. That's what we should be doing. We're all the same. We all need to be on the journey of becoming more Christ-like. Because of grace, I belong where He has placed me. So it's not where I place myself, it's where God has placed me. By grace. Even after He was adopted into the family... There's a reason why that in verse 13 it says, and he was laying on both his feet. You know, the grace that was extended to Mephibosheth does not change his physical situation. He's still crippled. But he was welcome at the king's table. You understand, a lot of other tables in Israel would not have accepted him. That same was true for us. Even though we are saved by his grace, uh, we're still far from perfect, right? We still have a lot of lessons to learn. We still got a lot of growing to do. And, and there's things that will never change in the sense of our physical things. That won't change. We still have to serve Jesus Christ. They don't change. I'm going to fail. And I'm going to prove that I stumble and fall. But I'm still His son. And, and you can still be His daughter. When, uh, ladies, you fall and you make a mistake. You sin. You're still daughter of the King. I'm still a son of the King. And I'm always welcome at His table. Folks, that's grace. And we don't remember it as we should. We, we toss it aside and just assume it's what we deserve. Hey, grace is something we don't deserve. We need to give God glory for it. Thank God for His grace. Thank God for His soul-saving, life-changing grace. And, and it's absolutely amazing. It's astounding. Have you accepted His gift of grace? Has its power made real change in your heart and life this morning? If you don't know God or Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to do that. You need to, you need to know God's Son, amen? You need to know Him. You need to get to know Him. And as Christians, let's make sure that we don't get complacent like, oh yeah, it's grace. No big deal. It's a big deal. And we need to give God glory for it. And we need to be thankful for it. And we need to say, thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us. And, and get excited about it again. And, and just don't be a humdrum about it. This is amazing. Hey, let's take it to heart. Now in a moment, we're going to have an invitation. Hey, maybe, maybe in your seat, maybe up at the altar, wherever it is, just give God glory for what He's done in your life. Hey, if you know Christ as Savior, you're at the King's table. You have access to the King. Folks, that's amazing. And we should give God glory for it. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, I would plead with you. I would urge with you. 
If Mephibosheth could be here sitting on a chair with his crutches, he would urge you to accept the grace that the King offers through Jesus Christ. Dear Jesus, thank You for another time we've had to be in Your Word. Truly is amazing, Your grace. Lord, help us as individual believers to give You the honor and glory for the grace that we see. There is hope in Jesus. And Lord, I pray that there any be anyone here this morning who doesn't know you, Savior, this morning, they would accept you. They would trust you as their personal Lord and Savior. I pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.